3, 12 through 15. We'll be closing out the book of Titus this morning. Titus 3, 12 to 15. We'll read that together in just a second. The sermon is called The Beauty of Life in the Church. The Beauty of Life in the Church. When Jesus died and rose again, he gave us innumerable gifts. He ascended on high and he poured out gifts on his people. Chief among the gifts that the Lord Jesus secured for us is reconciliation with God through the forgiveness of sins, union with God, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit within us now, the promise and current possession of everlasting life, which you have now in your inner being and will enjoy and experience forever in full to come. And we could go on and on enumerating and listing and meditating on the richness of the gifts that Christ has given to us through his death and resurrection. But one of the great gifts that he gave us that our passage this morning focuses us on is the church. I love the church. I love being a part of the church and all of its ups and downs and all of its joys and struggles. The church is an incredible blessing that Christ creates by his work, by his death and his resurrection. Now, some expressions of that church, there's one church, there's one body around the world throughout time, throughout history, there's one body and one church. Some expressions, local expressions of that church are bad and unhealthy, and no churches are perfect, but nevertheless, by God's grace, the church is a place of beauty and a place of life. And it's good for us to think about the gift of the church and be thankful. And it's good for us to strive to grow as a church ourselves, as one local expression of the worldwide body of Christ. It's good for us to strive to grow to be a place of increasing beauty and life in the Holy Spirit. And I pray that God will use this sermon to make that more so, that we would be increasingly a place that reflects the goodness of God and embodies the life of Christ here in our midst, that we would increasingly be that because of his word spoken to us this morning. Can he do that? Amen. God's word is a powerful means of his grace, and it's a means to conform us into the image of Christ. And so let's come to his word this morning with faith, expecting that he will mature us as his people, that he will grow us more and more into the beauty of the life of the church. Because when we look at God's word, we see that the church is not just an optional place you can go when you want a little spiritual boost, but the church is central to life as a Christian. The church is not just a sermon factory, but the church is a, commun a community of people who gather together, who care for one another's actual needs. The church is not just like a movie theater where you go and sit down with a bunch of random strangers that you don't know and you all enjoy the same thing from up front and then you kind of leave and go your own way without really talking to one another. But rather the church is a place where we know and love one another and greet one another in love. So what a glorious gift the church is that Christ has given to us. It's a gift and it's a calling and it's very good, and we're thankful for it. And I'm thankful for this local church, for Gospel Church Durango, that's not perfect, but is a place where the life of Christ is genuinely being manifested on the earth, where the Holy Spirit of God is very real and active and genuine. And it's a huge blessing in my life. So let's wrap up Titus this morning, thinking about the beauty of life in the church. Titus 3, 12 to 15. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need 
and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen? Amen. So we first see the beauty of the life of the church in the church and her mission being central to life. So we see the beauty in the life of the church in the fact that the church and her mission are central to life. And we see that in verses 12 and 13. In our day, it's common for someone to move for, for work, to move to go to a school, but it's not that common for someone to move to go to a church. If you heard that somebody was moving out of town because they got a better job elsewhere, you wouldn't be surprised. It's a normal occurrence. If you heard that somebody was moving out of town to go to a school, you wouldn't be very surprised. It's a common thing. But if you heard that somebody was moving out of town because they didn't have a good church or because they were going to help with a church, even though they didn't work at the church, it would be unusual. You would think, huh, uh, that's surprising. Don't really think of someone moving to a new town to find a church or moving to a new town to go help with a church that, that isn't also their job since it's kind of normal for somebody to move for a job. I'm not saying it never happens, but it's not that common. But look at how the early church was operating in these first two verses. Look at verses 12 and 13 again and think about that. Paul says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, so he's talking to Titus in Crete, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. Look how many people were organizing their lives around the church and its mission. Look how they were moving around and going places for the sake of the church and its mission. So I want to do a little bit of history on who these people are that are moving around and what they're doing so that we can see in detail what's going on with them. So who are these people? First, he says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you. Who are Artemis and Tychicus? Well, the first thing we can see about them is just what we see in this passage, which is that he's planning to send them to Crete. And when he does, then Titus will be able to come and visit Paul in Nicopolis. So who are these guys, he will send one or the other, Artemis or Tychicus. He still hasn't decided, it sounds like. But it sounds like these guys are reinforcements to Titus. They're ministers, people who can come and step in and carry on the work that Titus is doing in Crete so that he can step away to visit Paul. Do you see the care for the church that's being exercised here? Where loving pastors don't just walk out on their sheep and hope they can figure it out without them. But rather, here's Paul making sure that there are going to be shepherds in place in Crete to watch over the church so that Titus can step away and there are still shepherds that the church will still be cared for and watched over and served and loved. Do you see the care for the church? I think it's, it's far too common that shepherds will just up and leave their congregation and just kind of hope they'll figure it out without careful thought to the shepherding of the people. Now, tradition tells us that Titus gave his entire life in Crete, that he ministered there until the day that he died. So it seems that his coming to see Paul in Nicopolis was not like a permanent reassignment, that he was getting replaced by Artemis and Tychicus, but they were coming to watch over the church while he came for a time to come and visit with Paul. Probably get some direction, probably get some encouragement to go back and spend time with Paul so that he would be equipped to go back to Crete and continue doing ministry. Now, we don't know anything else about Artemis from the Bible itself, but we do have some tradition on him. So you take this with a grain of salt. This isn't stuff from other passages in the Bible, but it's stuff that Christians wrote down over the years. So I'm inclined to believe it, but it's not like it's Inerrant. But what we know about Artemis from history is that he was one of the 72 sent out by Jesus to minister. Remember that Jesus had 12 and he would send them out and they would go do stuff and then they would come back and they would meet together and he would talk with them about the ministry they did. But then from that 12, there was a larger group of 72 that he would pray for and he would send out and they would go out and they would heal the sick and they would cast out demons and they would proclaim the coming of the kingdom 
of God. So tradition tells us that Artemis was one of those 72. He knew Jesus. He would be discipled by Jesus and go out and do ministry and then come back and report back to Jesus. What a wonderful thing to get to do. And then we know that he, from history, that he became the first bishop of Lystra. So he would eventually become a a bishop, an overseer, an elder, a pastor in the church. Now, Tychicus, we know a little bit more from the Bible. He was an associate of Paul's from Asia, and he hand-delivered the letters of uh, Ephesians and Colossians. So you've read Ephesians and Colossians. Those were very first delivered by this guy, Tychicus. He brought them to Ephesus. He brought them to Colossae. And Paul told both of those churches when he did so that Tychicus would fill them in on how Paul is, is and what he's up to. So it seems that he was a close friend of Paul's. He was somebody who could let you know what Paul was up to and what was going on in his life. So Paul knew and wrote that his letters were the very words of God. It was not lost on Paul. Paul's letters were letters from Paul to a specific church, but they were also inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were not merely the words of men, but they were also the words of God. And Tychicus is a guy that Paul entrusted to take that letter, this new piece of scripture of God's own word, and bring that to another church. So you can imagine what kind of person you would look for if you had like a new book of scripture that was ready to be hand delivered. You'd find somebody trustworthy. That was Tychicus. So Paul has these trusted companions, Artemis and Tychicus, fellow laborers in the gospel, and yet he's regularly sending them off to minister to the needs of other churches, at least for short periods of time. Not everybody in the church is going to go and do this. Not everybody is an Artemis and a Tychicus. Not everybody is going to this church and to that church and carrying these books of scripture and being messengers between the churches. The norm is that people are in their churches and those are the churches that are being served by these guys. But see how much these people have built their lives around the church and the mission of planting churches and growing churches. They're just going here and there and Paul's sending them to Ephesus and now he's sending them to Colossae. Now he's sending them down to Crete and they're going about for the sake of the gospel and the church. And then Paul tells Titus, so he's got these two, Artemis or Tychicus are going to come to Titus, then Titus is going to leave and come up and visit Paul. And at the same time, he tells him in verse 13, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. So who are Zenos the lawyer and Apollos? We don't know anything else about Zenos from Scripture other than what we have here, which is that he was a lawyer and he was headed on some kind of mission. We're not told what he was doing, only that they are to speed him on his way seeing that he lacks nothing. So he and Apollos are on some kind of mission of the church, and they are to help them go quickly. Uh, It's likely that he and Apollos had delivered this letter of Titus. That's probably what they were doing in Crete, is they had come with this letter from Paul, delivered it, and then they were supposed to then speed Zenos and Apollos on as they continue their mission. It's worth noting that Crete was a common destination for lawyers to visit in this time. One commentator wrote this, Crete, which is where Titus is ministering, that's where they're at, Crete became a center of pilgrimage for legal inspiration because of some ancient legal codes that were written on tablets and kept in Crete. So lawyers would regularly take these missions for their work to go and to learn more about law by going and studying these ancient legal tablets that were kept in Crete. So that indicates probably this guy, uh, Zenus, who's a lawyer, he's probably leveraging his vocation, his daily calling, his work, to participate in this mission trip to support the church. Right? So maybe with you, maybe your business will bring you to Denver. Maybe you'll have a reason to go to Denver for your own regular work. And when you do, you should take that occasion, like Zenus is doing here, to, to bring encouragement to the church in, in uh, Crete, And so you could do, if you have to go to Denver for business, maybe you could go and arrange it around a Sunday so that you could go and visit New Covenant Church, this new church plant, and go and encourage them and strengthen them and bring them blessings and greetings from Gospel Church and help. Because when you're a new little church plant, one person or one little group of people coming to visit on a Sunday is incredibly encouraging. 
<laughs> because you just are a very small group and you're praying and hoping that people will come. And when people come, it encourages you. And it looks like that's part of what Zenos is doing. Zenos, well, we can just kind of guess, but he mentions that he's Zenos the lawyer going to Crete. So he's probably working it in with his regular business. Zenos is traveling with Apollos, probably bringing the letter and then going on their way for some other kind of mission. Apollos, we have lots of information from the New Testament about. Luke describes Apollos as a Jew, a native of Alexandria, who was an eloquent man, competent or mighty in the scriptures. Apollos was fervent in spirit, Luke tells us, and he spoke and taught publicly about Jesus. So Apollos would go to the synagogues and he would speak boldly and he would powerfully refute the Jews, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So Apollos had this ministry of open-air apologetics where he would go to the synagogues, he would go to the Jews, and he would contend. He was mighty in the scriptures, and he would contend for the truth, and he would refute them when they denied Christ, and he would show them that the Christ is Jesus, the Christ that the Jews were waiting for, the Messiah that their Old Testament scriptures had been prophesying for so long was Jesus. He had come. So this was Apollos's ministry, and he was, well, he was well enough known for this ministry that in Corinth, some people were calling themselves followers of Apollos. Remember when Paul had rebuked them? Some said, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, which was Peter. So he was well known through this public ministry. So he and Zenos are on their way through Crete, probably to drop off the letter, and then heading off somewhere else, and the church is to send them off quickly. And so I would guess that what they're doing is probably going to do some more open-air evangelism, apologetics, proclamation to the Jews, which is Apollos' ministry. And so the church was supposed to speed them along. They would be probably tempted to try to keep them there. Why don't you guys are here? Why don't you hang out and spend time with us? But they're on a mission. They're going around and they're proclaiming the gospel. And so they are to keep them moving, speed them along. They're coming to bless you. And then you're going to send them and make sure that they lack nothing. See that they lack Nothing. They were to take care of all their needs so that they could go and continue doing the ministry that God had called them to do. So what do we learn from all this? How do we summarize the takeaway from all this? We learn that the church was regularly sending people to support the work of the church in different places. The people were ready to move, to travel, to be relocated for the good of serving the church where they were needed. And that requires a dedication to the church. We say that's unusual, but it wasn't unusual in the New Testament church. See how usual and normal it was. There was this dedication to the cause of the church, to the mission of the gospel, and to the planting and the strengthening of more churches that people were going to do this. And while some go on these missions, others are called to support them on the mission, taking care of their needs and traveling for the sake of the gospel. Do you see that's the point of verse 13? Speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. The way that Apollos and Zenos can go and continue their ministry is because there's a local church, a home base there in Crete that can receive them, bless them, take care of all their needs, and then send them along. It's common to talk about the church's role in the mission in terms of three things, giving, sending, and going. And we see all three of those functioning right here at the end of Titus. People are going, people are being sent, and people are having all of their needs met, giving, sending, and going. Because churches send people. We have to send people. This is a real effort by the whole church to send people out to advance the gospel farther than it has yet gone. Remember that the Great Commission of making disciples of all the nations begins with going, baptizing and discipling and teaching to send, to teaching to observe everything that I have commanded. People have to go. And how will they go? Paul says, unless they are sent. So churches send people. So Paul says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me. Churches send people. And it's a real effort by the whole church, isn't it? To send people for the mission. Because when you send people who serve in your church, 
It requires the people of the sending church to, do, to, have, to have more absence of people serving there. When you take the people that are serving in your church and you send them away, now there's less people serving in your church. And so then there's more needs and more things that need to be done for serving that the whole body feels and absorbs and takes on because sending is something that a whole church does. It's not just that some people go, but churches send people and then those churches carry that for them. So churches send and also churches Give, he says, do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. That's sending them through and then see that they lack nothing. And so churches give to those who are going. They give to those who are being sent so that they can be upheld and do what God has called them to do. Going costs money. It takes resources. Planting new churches costs money. Traveling costs money. And the church covers those costs so that those who are going lack nothing and can be focused on the mission that they're being sent on. And so as people are sent, some within the church go. There's going, sending, and giving. Some people go. Some people leave houses and fathers and mothers and land, which is a sacrifice. They leave houses and fathers and mothers and land for the gospel's sake to go plant new churches, to go bring the gospel farther, to support church plants, to plant a church or to be a part of a team that's supporting the church plant as a part of it, or to go do short-term ministry to churches and help strengthen and encourage them with short trips where it's needed. These are all elements of a church that's alive, that's on the mission that God has given. The churches send people. Churches strategically send people. So I want to take a little bit of time here to just celebrate what God's doing that gospel church in these regards. There's always applications of scriptures, and there's always ways for us to do even more. But as I meditated on this passage and what's going on in the church, I just am encouraged, and I just want to encourage you that Gospel Church, by God's grace alone, is doing these things uh, in encouraging ways. Gospel Church, we have seen Gospel Church give sacrificially, send sacrificially, and go sacrificially for the cause of the gospel above and beyond in these ways. And so a lot of the application is just going to be noticing what God's doing here, giving him all the glory and encouraging us to continue doing it. So we see here in Titus, churches sending people between churches. We saw that. And gospel church has been sending people out on the mission. And that encourages the church and it honors God. Gospel church is sending people away to plant and support New Covenant Church in Denver. It's costly to us, but it reminds us that we're part of something larger than ourselves. We are not just this tiny little outpost of the kingdom. We are one small part of this giant kingdom, and our mission is to disciple Durango and the nations. Our mission is far bigger than this town. It's no smaller than this town, and we start, and we aim, and we focus here, but the mission is explicitly farther, and the mission to disciple all the nations is not given to missions organizations. Though there's nothing wrong with churches partnering together and forming organizations to help us do that. But what we need to notice is that the mission to disciple all the nations is given to the church. It's given to the church. That's us. We are called to make disciples of the nations. Durango and Colorado and the United States of America and the nations. We're sent to advance the gospel to all the nations with the promise that the gates of hell won't stand against us. That's what Jesus said. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what are gates? What do you do with gates? What's that? (laughs) You open and shut them. What are they there for? Why does hell have gates? (laughs) That's right. They're trying to keep us out. Gates are a defensive measure, aren't they? Gates are in the walls around your city to defend from attackers coming in. So when Jesus says that the gates of hell won't stand against us, what is he assuming that we're doing? We are storming the gates of hell. The gates won't prevail against us. Gates aren't 
offensive measures. Gates are defensive measures. And so that means that the church is called to be on the offensive with the gospel, advancing the kingdom of Christ into all the nations and into all the corners, knowing that hell's gates won't stand against us. We are to be advancing. That means we are to be going. We are to be sending. We are to be planting. We are to be moving the gospel forward here in Durango and to the ends of the earth. But you do know that in the United States, churches are closing down regularly. Churches are closing their doors and the church buildings are being reconverted into other things. And it's not good. And other churches are being corrupted and compromised from within regularly. And this is happening and churches are falling and they're turning away from the truth of the scripture and the pure worship of God and they're being corrupted regularly. And so sound, healthy churches need to be giving birth to new churches regularly. We need to be planting more churches because churches need to be growing and expanding and pushing forward and not just being pushed back by the enemy. And that, by God's grace, is the legacy of Gospel Church Durango. And by God's grace, we intend to always be a church that plants other healthy churches. Because our vision is to win this town, to disciple this town that God has called us to, and also to plant churches farther than this town, across western Colorado, out around the Four Corners area, throughout the state of Colorado, around the United States of America, and out to other nations that need the gospel and need healthy churches like Turkey, where the Henrys are ministering and beyond. This is the missionary vision of Christ and his church that compels us. And this is why we are a church that sends people away. We like people. We like having people. We like growing in strength here. We like having lots of people here who are gifted and who are serving. And yet we send them away because the mission is bigger than us right here. And it's bigger than Durango. Gospel churches also in the midst of currently sending out the Tulare family. The Tulares are members of Gospel Church, and some of you might not even know Chris and Jennifer because they are sent. First, they were sent to Bayfield to plant a church, and then God has redirected that and now has Chris ministering at First Baptist Church Bayfield and setting what remains in order and helping them to, to raise up elders and, and be established in health. And so this church is currently sending the Tulares, and the Tulares are out doing something very similar to what Paul sent Titus to do, to set what remains in order. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing to the church. The Tulares are members of this church, and they're really gifted, and they're using that gifting to lead another church back to health. And that's a blessing from God, and it's what the church is called to do. And how important it is to take churches that have lots of potential and lots of resources and lots of strength, but are struggling and to come in and to help those churches to stand because it's not just about starting new churches, but what if we can take a church that has a long history, but's kind of tottering and struggling and to come in and reinforce and help it be strong and make it healthy. And what a blessing that is. And we praise God for the opportunity to send people for the good of the broader church even as we hope they'll be able to return in the case of the Tulares and minister here among us before too long. Our country is rapidly turning from God. Our country is rapidly spiraling out away from Christianity, running from the Lord. Christianity has declined and is in a period of decline in America. And the blessing that comes from lots of people believing in Christ and worshiping him, the blessings that accompany that are running on fumes and in many places just sputtering out altogether. And I don't have to tell you about that because you're watching it happen and you can't avoid seeing it everywhere you turn. But the fundamental turning point for this country, the only thing that will fix what's wrong with the United States of America is the gospel of Jesus Christ believed and expressed in strong, healthy churches who live that out in all of life. That is the only hope for the United States of America. There are a lot of people peddling lots of different hopes for this country, 
But the only hope for the United States of America is the only hope for you and the only hope for anyone is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And change does need to work its way out from that. As the gospel comes, it changes people and it changes all sorts of things and it has all sorts of effects downstream from the gospel changing people and their hearts and their minds and discipling them so that politics need to change. The culture needs to change as we effectively disciple people to obey all that Jesus commanded. But ground zero is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ establishing healthy churches who disciple all of life as Jesus commanded. Ground zero will always be bold and clear gospel preaching and churches that proclaim and teach the whole counsel of God without shrinking back. And if strong, healthy gospel churches are not at the core of a society, then that society will slowly drift away from God and from blessing. And no other measure will help if we don't have the word of God clearly taught and proclaimed and lived out in healthy local churches. And so we send people to start more churches. We take risks on new gospel ventures. You don't know if a church plant is going to work. They're fragile when you plant a church. When you cut a branch off a tree and put it somewhere else, you hope that it will take root and it will grow and thrive. There, there's risk to planting churches, but it's worth the risk. We send people to strengthen struggling churches because the church must stand strong because the kingdom of Christ is an expanding and an enduring kingdom, and God calls us to live by faith. So here in the end of Titus, we see this kind of church modeled, where people are being sent, and people are going, and people are being supported and taken care of in the going. We see churches giving to support those who are on the mission so that they lack nothing. And this again encourages me, as he tells them to see that Zenos the lawyer and Apollos lack Nothing. As a church, we have watched Gospel Church give abundantly and generously to New Covenant Church in Denver and to their ministry in profound ways. One of the things when you go to plant a church is how, like, how are we going to afford this? Where's the money going to come from? It's one of the most stressful things of planting a church. And we watch John wrestle through that and pray through it and wonder, are we going to have enough? Are we going to be able to, to provide? Or is there going to be enough to have a space to rent? And is there going to be enough for John to devote himself to ministry? And it's one of the biggest things that church planters worry about and stress about. And we have just watched Gospel Church as a group together give large amounts of money to New Covenant Church so that it can be established. And on top of that, we've watched lots of you give generously to, on top of that to, to help support. And so New Covenant Church is just strongly supported by Gospel Church, and it's an incredible blessing. And life is hard and times are tough, but this church continues to overflow in generous giving to the mission of Christ, and it is a beautiful thing to behold. And it's not just money either. You guys were there to move, to support, to help clean for the Helvoids, for Jarrett when it was his time to move, for the Burgers as it's been their time to move. And as they leave, we're making sure that they leave lacking Nothing, that they leave with support, that they leave with help, that they leave with encouragement and strength. And we're going to go up to Denver next Sunday to go and worship with them on their second Sunday gathering so we can help and we'll bring encouragement. And so if you want to send anything to them, if you want to send any greetings or messages, let us know. And my family and I will deliver those um, next Sunday to New Covenant Church. And not only our church plant, but Gospel Church also supports other missionaries through several different avenues. Gospel Church is giving to missionaries around the world. Locally, we give to and support the mission of Crossbar X as they seek to minister to troubled kids in the Four Corners region, primarily by bringing the gospel to them. We give to the Southern Baptist Convention's International Missions Board, who support missionaries worldwide and keep them on the field, making sure that all their needs are met so that they can bring the gospel. And we'd love to increase our missions giving as well, giving again to other strong church planting organizations like Heart Cry Missions Organization. And we give particularly and substantively our, what we want to give most directly to are individuals that we know and trust their theology and value what they're doing. And so we give a lot to the Henrys 
in Turkey. And some of you have met the Henrys and others haven't, but nevertheless, we give and we support them. And they are planting a really healthy, really strong, really vibrant, thriving local church in Turkey. And it's a beautiful thing. And they regularly pass on their thanks to me and say, let the congregation know how thankful we are and how much they appreciate the support. They couldn't be doing it without the generous giving that you do. We also try to provide accountability and oversight and encouragement. We do this with New Covenant Church where we're reaching out to them on a weekly basis, uh, ministering to them, making sure they're doing well, watching out for them. We've offered this to those in Turkey and spent significant time encouraging them and Skyping with them regularly to uphold them and walk them through challenges. And it is a blessing to be able to uphold churches as they go on the mission of Christ. So Gospel Church, what I want us to see as we reflect on this dynamic of a healthy church where people are going and sending and supporting one another on this mission, what I want us to see is that the local church is right at the heart of the rescue mission of planet Earth. And we do it all by the grace of God through faith in him. We're not boasting in our own strength. We're not tooting our own horn here. But I want to acknowledge as I see this, and then I go to think like, what's the application? And I think like, I see a church that's like straining itself beyond, I think, what seems normal um, to do this. And so rather than like try to exhort you, you guys need to be giving, you need to be sending, you need to be going. Like, I just want to stop and encourage you and say, God bless you. And he is blessing you and he's doing it. And just keep it up because I, I see this church doing it and it, it makes my heart rejoice. And we know, and I know that all of you know, as I encourage you in that, like it's all by the grace of God. It's not because we're something special. It's not because we're something great. It's because God is at work in this church and we give him all the glory for that. But I do want us to see the urgency of what we're doing as I exhort us to continue in it. The centrality of the work of planting gospel-centered local churches to celebrate with joy the way God is working through our midst. And we are now in a weaker position because we've sent away a significant number of people to go plant another church and we're sending significant funds to other churches and we have people sent out ministering, whether it's in Bayfield or up in Denver. And it's exciting when we send them, like the Sunday when we send them and we gather around and we pray for them and we send them off, like it's exciting, right? And it breathes life into us. We're like, this is awesome. But over time, that excitement kind of fades and then it's just like the reality that there's less people here at Gospel Church, you know? And so same amount of tasks and the same amount of stuff we're trying to do here with less hands ready to do it. And that can be discouraging or it can be tiring. And that's why I want to take this opportunity to exhort you, Gospel Church, don't grow weary in doing well. For in due time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Continue on. Don't be discouraged. Look with eyes of faith that this is how the kingdom advances. By sending and giving and going, the kingdom of Christ advances on the gates of hell. This is how we grow. This is how we win. And so we press on in faith and prayer with joy as we strive to make the church and her mission central to our lives like we see the early church doing here in our passage. So we see the beauty and the life of the church and people centering their lives around the broader church and her mission, going and sending and giving. And we also see the beauty in the life of the church in seeing our own local church as a place of generosity and service. Because while some are called to go and we are all called to send, we also have a wonderful calling right here in front of us. And that's the last verses of Titus. We send, but we don't forget that we were sent here to do something in Durango. We are a people that have been sent here to advance the cause in Durango. And as we proclaim the gospel here, God shapes us into a growing community of people reflecting his grace and generosity and service to one another. And this too is central to the mission. So that's verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. The church is to learn to devote themselves to good works. This is what the grace of God teaches us to do right here, to devote ourselves to good works so that we can be fruitful for the Lord. The grace of God does not produce entitled, selfish, 
or demanding people. Rather, the grace of God produces giving, generous, selfless people who serve as we have been served. When we receive grace, it teaches us to give grace. When Christ comes to serve us and not to be served, it teaches us to be like him and to serve others rather than trying to get others to serve us. It creates a people who don't just talk about loving and serving or who just want to be seen loving and serving, like the Pharisees who blow the trumpet while they're giving, says, make sure everybody sees, and then, okay, everybody saw, now I'm good to go. But just a people who just quietly and lovingly and consistently give their lives for one another for the glory of God. And Paul says that this devotion to good works is for the purpose of helping cases of urgent need. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. Why do we devote ourselves to good works? So that we can help cases of urgent need. What a helpful description. Help cases of urgent need. And I've been seeing Gospel Church do this as I reflected on, okay, how do I apply these things to Gospel Church? I'm just encouraged again. Like, we're, I'm seeing this happen a lot right now. The Miller family is in a situation of rather urgent need. Baby Josephine came really early and needs to grow in strength to breathe and eat and thrive well on her own. Marcy has urgent needs to give herself thoroughly to baby Josephine and take care of all her needs, which leaves little time to care for all the other abundant needs that she has in her household around herself. And the Millers are largely able to address the basic needs within their family, particularly as they're not busy serving the rest of us as they regularly do. And so as we just try to carry whatever things the Millers are regularly doing here as a church serving us, we say, hey, let us try to carry all that stuff that you guys are usually doing serving us so that you can just focus on caring for one another and rallying and being together as a family. Then they're able to do that. And in addition to that, it's been a blessing to see people just bring them meals and bring them abundant meals. And they've expressed great gratitude for that as they're bringing them meals. And you guys are going out of your way to make meals and deliver them to them so that they, there's just one less thing that they have to focus on so that in their case of urgent need, they're able to care for the urgent need that's in front of them. And it's a blessing as the church comes around and supports them and as the church continues to pray for them and to hold them up in prayer and to pray for Josephine and her healing. And so keep praying. Keep praying and encouraging them. Keep uh, supporting them with meals as occasions, um, as we have the, the meal train go out and things like that. And we're doing, I know it's a lot. Like, and, then, and now we're, we're, you guys are doing the same and abundantly bringing meals to provide for Hunter and Kaylee with their baby as they have a case of need. Because anytime a baby comes into your family, even when it's, not premature. It, it uh, throws everything up in the air. And so uh, just God bless you for your generosity overflowing in the lives of these families and keep it up and keep praying for the Millers that Josephine can come home so they can start trying to establish new rhythms and slowly return to some new kind of normalcy in their life and return here to Gospel Church. So keep devoting yourselves to good works. It's a beautiful thing. Keep signing up for the shelter meal where we can provide regularly for people in the community with urgent needs that we can step in and take care of. So in the church, we're called to work hard so we can provide for our own needs and for the needs of those who depend on us and then still have something extra to give to those who are in cases of urgent need. In normal times, what you do is you just work hard and take care of your own stuff and take care of your own people so well that you have some extra. You have some margin beyond the care for yourself and your own people and all their needs. That way, when a case of urgent need comes up, you have extra to give. And that's how you prepare for those kind of situations when they're not right in front of you. I like how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. In 8, 12 to 14, he says, for if the readiness to give is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply for their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. What a wonderful design God has set up in the church that it'll at times give abundance in one place and need in another so that the church is knit together in love for one another and provision. And then at other times, 
He'll cause you to abound and these people to have need so that the needs can flow the other way. And we just constantly share that burden around and we all are taken care of and we all look out for one another. What a beautiful thing the church is. And that's part of, in some ways a small part, but it's part of why it's important to be connected to a local church. We'll often have people, strangers come and ask us for help and we do our best to help them as much as we can but we'll often ask if they know the Lord and generally they say, oh yes, I'm a very strong Christian. You say, well, where do you go to church? And sometimes they'll say, well, I go to so-and-so church here in town. They say, well, that's like, will they, will they help you? <laughs> and often people will get mad. Like, how dare you ask me that? Or it's like, I'm not trying to be mean. It just, it would be surprising if one of you guys who's a regular attender of gospel church like had some desperate need and then was having to call other churches in town to have those needs met. Like we... We would love it if you would let us know. If you have spiritual needs, let our elders know. If you have practical needs, let our deacons know. And we want to, to care for your needs. And so we'll, we'll ask. But often I think the people just aren't really going to a church. Um, and so then when, the, when their hour of need arises, they haven't been in a situation where they're locked into the church and they know and they're serving and they're giving and then they have an hour of need and then it's just easily taken care of by their local church. And that's the way that it's designed. It's, there's, there's more and bigger reasons to be part of a church, but that's one of them. When you come into your hour of need and you will have an hour of need, you wanna be deeply rooted in a local church that knows you and that loves you and that understands your needs and your situation and the bonds of love are tight and there's bonds of trust or we know each other and we keep each other accountable and you're just, your needs are just ready to be taken care of. What a wonderful design God has in the local church. And so while we're required to go to church and to be part of the church, and we owe it to God to be part of the church, and we owe it to each other, it's also just really good and important for each one of us. It's such a blessing to be part of the church. As we just read through the membership statement again today with the Hartmans and reiterating that to them and for them, that we, we are here for you. Like we're, we're gonna do our best to look out for each other and to care for each other's burdens and sorrows and to bear these things and to pray for each other and to look out for each other and to do whatever each other needs. And the Hartmans are here to do that for us and we are here to do that for them. And we don't want that just to be something we say, but we want that to be something that we're striving to grow in more and more as a local body as we devote ourselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So Paul further says that this devotion to good works keeps us from being unfruitful. That's the last piece of this. It helps cases of urgent need and it keeps us from being unfruitful because our fruit, our, I mean, our good works are fruit and those, that fruit is ultimately for God's enjoyment. God planted a vineyard and he comes to check and he expects it to be abounding in fruit and we want to be a vineyard. We want to be a fruit tree that when God comes to us, he just sees us abounding in fruit for his delight and for each other's enjoyment and delight. A church should abound in good fruits of service. It doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be showy because God knows and God sees and we do it for God. It just looks like taking part in the regular needs that come up within the church and then keeping your eyes out for needs around you in your normal life and just meeting those needs, but doing it consistently and constantly and diligently and over days and months and weeks and years, just continuing to be a people who look out for one another and care for one another. It's become popular in the church lately to try to be radical. But sometimes I think trying to be radical keeps us from just the ordinary daily good works that God calls us to that are maybe not quite so flashy. It's like the saying, everybody wants to save the world, but nobody wants to help mom do the dishes. Big showy talk about radical acts of service are often pharisaical if we're just neglecting the daily needs that are right in front of us. Just the daily people that God has put in your life and just caring for them and thinking about them and praying for them and just meeting the normal needs, but just in the long haul, loving one another in your own house, in your own workplace, and in our own local church, and then beyond. So we see the beauty of life in the church, the people of the church serve one another and abound in good deeds. So just continue devoting yourselves to good works and may God cause us to continue to abound and increase in this, that we may get better and better at caring for one another's needs and being here for each other. And finally, the last thing is fairly quick in this last verse. We see the beauty of the life of the church in the warmth of the affection we have for one another. 
because the church is a place of loving greetings and blessings. Look at the last verse. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. God's people know and love one another in Christ Jesus. And so you have Paul here and those who are with him being away from the saints in Crete, but they know and they love each other. So he's sending greetings, he and his people, over to the church in Crete because they love them in the faith. They know each other and they love each other. And so Paul sends his greetings and he blesses them. So don't keep love in the hidden place of your heart. Greet one another in love. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's, he's greeting them. He's, he's sending, he's going out of his way to say it and to send the greeting and to say the blessing out loud. And so us, when we see each other, we should be happy to see one another. And we should say that out loud. We should be a church who greets each other. And, and, and when we see each other, we should be happy to see each other. And we should say that and express that. Here, send greetings. And you don't have to send them when you're right there. You can just give the greetings. There they are. Smile at each other. Shake hands with each other. Embrace one another. Give a holy kiss. Whatever is appropriate for the occasion, greet one another warmly. Show your love for those who love you in the faith. Let it be evident that we are one body in Christ Jesus. Let the church know that you're happy to see them. And we extend it beyond those who love us in the faith as well. We're ready to greet those who love us in the faith, as Paul says here, but we can't help but think of Matthew 5, 46. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So in addition to greeting one another, warmly welcoming each other and letting each other know of the love you have, also greet visitors. We should be a church that warmly greets visitors, that lets them know, we're glad you're here. We're thankful that you've come. It's nice to worship with you. It's good to worship with you. We should say those things to people and we should keep our eyes out for visitors and strangers and people who are new so that we welcome them and they feel that we love them here because we do. And they, they feel that up front and then they see it over time when they have cases of urgent need and we are here to care for them. And now Paul ends with his own greeting to the church and that's a blessing of grace. He says, grace be with you all. A blessing is like a prayer to God for someone's good, but just spoken directly to the person, right? Grace be with you. It's different than saying, God, will you please give them grace? But it's directed in faith to, to God as you're asking him to bless them. So he says to the people, grace be with you. And blessings do stuff. I mean, remember Esau's desperation when Jacob got the blessing of his father. He's just like, isn't there some blessing left for me? And he's like, I already gave the blessing to him. I mean, that implies there's like, if blessings don't really mean it, it's not just like empty well wishes, right? Well, I already gave the blessing to him. So like it's, that was a substantive thing. I gave it to him. I can't give the same thing to you because that's the blessing I gave to him because he expected it would do something. And Father, don't you have some blessing for me? And so, okay, yes, I do. And here's a blessing that I can give to you because blessings are substantive. They, they do stuff when we offer them in faith that God will do stuff with them. So, do you believe that blessings are effectual and do you bless one another? What better blessing to speak over someone than grace be with you? As Paul closes the letter, what more wonderful thing can we desire than God's grace towards his people? Because we, as the church, have all that we have by God's grace. Amen? We live by God's grace in Christ Jesus. And because Jesus made the mission of salvation, the focus of his life, you can have the grace of God. And because Jesus came to serve you in your most urgent need, in your sin and alienation from God, you live under the grace of God. And because Jesus loved you and greeted you, even when you were his enemy, he has now made you his friend in the grace of God. What a beautiful savior we have. May we increasingly resemble him in the church. Amen.